This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Go with me with you, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 10. And just rest there. And uh, again, I just want to review us on what we've been talking about on the, the past few weeks here. Um, and the topic is, are you prepared for the married state? Um, and my portion of that topic is, what does God want from my marriage, and how does he get it? And I do want to remind everybody as well before we go forward that we are still doing the question and answer format. So if you haven't, if you've been listening to the messages so far, and there's going to be more to come, but if you've been listening to them, you have any questions or questions about you know any of the messages that are to come, send them in anonymously. I believe there's a link on the website um, and other various ways that you can send those questions in. Send those in, and we will we will look at those and address those at the end of the teaching. Um, so a quick review again. I want to take us back to where Minister Martin taught, uh, started us off at, and he was on why and when premarital counseling. And the reason he, he touched on this is because first, first he said you need to know how to choose, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's paramount, right? If you don't know how to choose, then you're going to end up with any and everybody at your doorstep. And this is God's institution. We must we must remember. And then he said you have to know what you're signing up to. What's in that cup? You know, and, and again, you know, we said it over the past few weeks. You can't. There's no way that we're going to be able to cover everything in that cup. But we're going to we're going to touch on some of these main important things that, that you need to consider. And, and nine times out of ten, a lot of people don't even consider these things before they get into marriage. Or, or if they do consider them, they consider how they benefit themselves. So you need to know what you're signing up to. And then also you need to realize and remember that God hates divorce. Everybody say it again, Minister Hill. To Minister Hill, sin is a, a divorce is a sin. And that's it for me. I mean, I, you know, when you look in the Bible, you know, the, the, the disciples talk to, to Jesus about being able to, you know, about getting married and things like that. And, you know, I only find, you know, a couple of things, reason, uh, reasons why that that's allowed, you know, divorce, you know, of course, infidelity. And then a, a, another one was, uh, um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but infidelity. And basically, if, you, uh, if your person dead, if your spouse dies, you know what I mean? So if something physical happens, then, or not divorce, but you can, you can remarry, put it like that. If something physical happens, you can remarry. But, you know, the disciples were like, well, why is it so hard to be in this covenant of marriage? Well, it's better that I just stay, stay single. It's better that I stay by myself. And, and Paul said it before, you know, there's, there's troubles in marriage. There's things that you have to consider in marriage before you just jump into it. Because God desires something for my marriage. It's not about what we desire, what we, what we expect. So, again, God hates divorce. And then he also touched on, you need to be prepared. You have got to be prepared for marriage. And so again, I'm going to touch on again today and review just a little bit. I'm not going to go on everything that I've touched on before because I have a place that I need to be. But I'm going to review a little bit of what I've touched on before and what does God want from my marriage and how does he get it. And I want to say this again. This teaching is for the unmarried. All right, it's for, and when I say unmarried, and we're talking premarital, right? I'm not just mean dating. I don't just mean courting. Or I don't mean just mean, you know, we're engaged. This is for the single unmarried person. This is for if you're unmarried, this is for you. If you've been married and you're unmarried now, this is for you. This is for the, the unmarried individual. And again, like all the other ministers have been saying, married individuals can glean from this. Parents can glean from this. But this is for you. So I hope you're hearing with that ear. So let's start with, we are back in Mark chapter 10. Let me make sure I get there. Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 6. Through verse 9, it says, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And I read this scripture every time. I want to start off with this because I want you to understand how serious marriage is, right? Because it says there what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And that's one thing we have to remember, right? When you're talking about going into marriage, think about these things beforehand because this is God's institution. And what God joins together, is no, man, has, man has no right to tear it asunder. There's nothing that man can do. To, man has no right to, to take apart what God has ordained. What, what the one in authority has set up. Man has no right to change that. Because it's a divine institution. What is marriage? It's a divine institution created by God. Whereby two rational, free moral agents who are born again, a man and a woman, they enter into a lifelong commitment with another imperfect person. They choose to enter that. Now, I, want you, I don't ever want you to forget that, that marriage is a choice, right? They choose to enter into a lifelong a long commitment. And, and, and choose, choice is, is, is so paramount, right? Because... You know, we've been learning about authority on Wednesdays, and we're going to get into how God gets what he wants from his marriage. But I'm, I'm going to give you a sneak preview right now. Submission is one of the reasons, or one of the things that will help you get what he's, what he's designed out of, out of marriage. But submission is a choice. That's what I'm saying. But marriage is a choice. And when you enter into marriage, you're choosing to submit to one another. So if you're not ready to submit, listen, it's a choice not to get married. These are the things you have to realize. It's a choice. If you're not at that stage, even if you think you're at that stage, listen, t- take a step back and, and evaluate some things, right? That's why we're telling you, that's why I said, if you're not married, this is for you. This, now is the time. You have to, I don't care if you get married tomorrow. Now is the time to evaluate these things. Because if God says something, if the one with all authority and power says something, and you know you need to change some things before you go into marriage and you don't, then guess what? You're going against his authority. And what you read from your life, listen, you may have a good marriage. What you read from your life, but this is what I want you to understand. It won't be from God's works, it'll be from the works of your hands. So good can only last so long. That's what I'm saying about marriage. You know, people want, oh, it's a good marriage, it's a good marriage, but good. If you're basing your marriage on feelings, then your marriage is going gonna, gonna to change like the wind. The only thing that remains, the only thing that, 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 that stays the same yesterday, today, and forevermore is Jesus. So we don't need just a good marriage because then Jesus is, in God is all goodness. So we need a godly marriage. Then you'll have goodness and you'll keep his godliness. You'll be able to endure the hardships or the troubles of marriage that are sure to come to every relationship. The, the bad ones and the good ones. Hardships are sure to come. That's what we have to focus on. It's, it's a divine institution. It's created by God. We can't put our expectations on God's institution. You put your expectations on God's institution and you will be disappointed. I guarantee you that. Because God's ways are not our ways. Not the ways of this world. God expects his relationship to reflect Christ and the church. Like I said, he knows there's troubles and there's obstacles and stuff that you need to consider in marriage. But he may... Listen... You think of Christ in the church. He, he made marriage to endure all those things. To get you through those tough times. Those, those times where you thought it was going to be this way, but I ended up being disappointed. But because my, 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 my marriage reflects Christ in his church, we keep, we're going to keep going. We're not going to give in. See, that's the thing about marriage. Uh, 
you can't give up, you can't give in. That's another thing that that he that that, that God desires, or what he gives, to, what he used to get, what he uh, to get out of marriage is commitment. How does he get what he wants out of marriage? You got to be committed. And I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but these things you should have been hearing submission and commitment throughout the whole teachings already. And again, so and it's still in review here. Uh, we looked at some of the expectations that man wants from marriage. You know, in a you know both our society and and you know even our religious religious and secular society, you know they've established its own expectations. That's what I'm saying. Get, that's why you need to have your own personal relationship with God, because people can get religious too. That's what I'm saying. Religious and our secular society, they've, they've established their own expectations on marriage, and those, like I said, those expectations will foster your disappointment. So we talked about the need for affection and sexual intimacy. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get on this long, because if I get on this again, I'll stay long. And I'm, I'm not trying to stay long. But the only thing I'm just going to say about it is, you know, if Jesus wouldn't do it to you, then he wouldn't join you to it. And he doesn't approve of it. Uh, let me put it to you like this, right? Because some people are like, no, but he's assigned me to this person. Jesus wouldn't, God wouldn't assign you to that either. Uh, because you're, I'm not talking about assign, assigned a minister to him. You're talking about assigned to be their husband or wife. No, no, no. If God wouldn't do it to you, he's not trying to put you with that. Uh, why would he try to put you together with somebody who's going against his authority? We're talking about sex outside of marriage now. And I hope, I hope all of you know, if, if you are sexually active and you heard last week, I hope you stopped her immediately. And again, I want to remind you, you're not ready for the covenant state. Because you can't even com commit and submit to, 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 to Jesus Christ, to our Lord and Savior. Now, if you can't submit and commit to the one who, sent the, who gave their life for you, what makes you think that you can submit and commit to the one who hasn't? The one that you're looking for different things in the relationship with anyway. We talked about the need for sex and, and intimacy, the need for loneliness, the need for financial security. See, those things like that, you, get, you choose to get married for those things. When they, when they stop, your marriage is in trouble. That's like you talk about loneliness. You've you got to be complete in Christ before. We talked about kingdom relationships a couple years back. Being complete in Christ all by yourself. Because when, he, when you go into his institution of marriage, he's expecting something from you. It says in the scriptures that our marriage should reflect Christ in, his, in the church. That's the expectation. And again, we come in with our own expectations. They're going to fulfill, they're going to fulfill my loneliness. And I said this before. Listen, you don't need to bring your loneliness in on somebody else. Let God work that out. That's not their job. Listen, man cannot change the heart of man. Only God can. That's not their job. You need to be a complete whole person by yourself, with purpose by yourself, before entering into the state of marriage. You don't want to get into the state of marriage and have no direction. Don't know where we're going or, or, or what's happening. Marriage, listen, marriage is not a place for you to dig yourself out of a hole financially. That's not what marriage is for. Marriage is not a place where we can say, but now we can put all our money together and we can go get this. And we can go get that. That's not what marriage is for.
Because see, these things that we were talking about, the need for social acceptance, the desire for children, these are, look, these are all good things. But when we don't consider God first, they become selfish things. God gave you these desires. Listen, I under, God gave everybody these desires. But he said, but wait, consider me first because I'm trying to make things beautiful. You're trying to rush them. These, listen, God has given us all things good for us to enjoy, but listen, it's not, it's not for us to enjoy all at once and in our own time and in our own season. There's an answer for all of these needs and desires. But, but without God, society is designed marriage a catch-all for all of these things. While the statistics for divorce keep rising and rising and rising and rising. Look, in the church... Expecting marriage to solve their problems. Without even understanding what God wants from marriage. Then when they divorce, they say, they're just not meeting my needs. But God hates divorce. God's intention from the beginning was that it's a lifelong commitment. What, what did he say in Mark 10? We're still there. He said, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man, se- let no man separate. They're no longer two, they're one. That means... Instead of divorce as an option, even before we get, before we get married, married, let's consider what God wants before we put ourselves in that state. So that divorce never becomes an option. Because you, do you know that people consider divorce an option even before they get married? That's why prenuptial agreements come in. That means I'm already considering what if we fail? What if Jesus had that consideration? What if I failed? Going after the church. What? Because that, that's how bad it means I'm really giving up before I start. And we're trying to reflect Christ in the church. So what we have to know is what God wants from our marriage. What are his expectations? And after all, again, it's, it's, his, it's his, his institution. And it's been there from the beginning. So we're getting back to where we almost left off last week. Let's turn to Genesis chapter chapter 1. can never forget that this is God created marriage. I, I don't care what what man does, what changes they bring to it, who they allow to get married nowadays, what they say is okay, what genders change, what type of race they try to make. I don't care what, but God is the creator. And he's the authority. He ordained marriage and he set it up so that his purpose is fulfilled. So let me let me help some of you right now. Because, you know, when you, when you see certain family members in marriage and they're doing things the wrong way. For example, because nowadays, you can see a woman and a woman married. You can see a man and a man married. In your family, you may see these things. Let me tell you, God doesn't honor that. You shouldn't either. Because if that's your mindset around marriage, guess what? You're not ready for the marriage state. And I don't know why I got on that, because that has nothing to do with what I'm going. But I, I, let me tell you something. God does not honor that. He's not, listen... 
you're defiling his covenants when you do things like that. And I'm not just talking about homosexuality. Anything that's outside of his word in his covenant, sex outside of marriage, you're defiling his covenant. And that, listen, just because you stopped doesn't mean you're ready. There's a, there's a whole other process that needs to be, there needs to be a change, a rearrangement. Remember, God only changes, there needs some time, there needs to be some time alone with God. That means that person that you were active with, I need to separate. Listen, there's no good counsel coming out of you guys to each other at all. Y'all need to separate. And you're not ready for the married state. And don't get me wrong, right, because it sounds like, man, he's, te- he's talking hard. Let me tell you, none of these sins that I'm telling you are unforgivable. So God is a forgiving God. But you've got to go through that process of forgiveness. You've got to go to God with a sincere heart. <laughs> That's why I said, divorce is a sin to brother. But listen, if you've been in it, listen, God is a forgiving God. He's a God full of grace, full of mercy. But also remember, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We're not playing. We're not going to use his word as an occasion to our flesh. Just so that I can, I can go and do what I want to do. So I can, listen, because I'm not even on that. Take, don't take your, bottom line, don't take God's covenants lightly. It is not a game. Like I said, he has created it from the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 26 through 28 again. And it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And I stopped there. So last week I told you, you know, I wanted you to notice that God had created them both. And he introduced them both to a system of authority. Now, I also want you to know, just to tie this back in on Wednesday nights on authority... He introduces them to authority before he gives authority. God will always place you under authority before he puts you in authority. I want you to understand that. Because God is going to put somebody in authority here. He's going to set up a system, his institution of marriage, where there is a line of authority. But he places them under authority first and foremost. And then I wanted you to notice that he didn't give them this command and he didn't immediately just put them there and say, now you're married and go. There's some preparation. There's some things that need to happen before you got into this married state. So what did God do? Chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt, thou, I'm sorry, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not... Oh, I'm sorry, let me stop there. So I want you to notice there that he gave Adam a command to dress and keep the garden. This is before he has a wife. Before he put him in the state of covenant, of marriage. So he gave him stewardship. He gave him responsibility. He showed, listen, he, he showed him what was right and what was wrong. He told him, listen, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but from the tree in the midst of the garden you shall not eat. He gave him right and wrong. Gave him stewardship. 
He taught him to the point of understanding that he knew what he was supposed to do. And then verse 19, I'm sorry, 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, and look, see, God, that's what I'm saying, God knows what you need. But you notice right here, he didn't go tell Adam, I know what you need. Wait right here, I'm going to go good. He didn't even, as a matter of fact, he didn't even create woman right there, even though he said, I know what you need. Because guess what? There's still preparation going on. Still preparation going on. And then verse 19 it says, And out of the ground the Lord, formed, Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. So now he gave him responsibility. He said, here's what I want you to do. Because you're going to be about my purpose while you're here by yourself. I want you to name every animal. And I want you to understand some things, right? You think about all the animals in this world, right, that have been named, all the creatures. This took a long time. This is not something you just do in 10 minutes. It's not something you do in one day. You know what I mean? This, this is taking a while. And I also wanted you to know in that verse it says, and God brought them to him. See, in this midst of while you're waiting, in this midst of your preparation, if God is who you're submitted to, if God is the one that you're working for, listen, he's there with you. He's doing the work. He's not going to leave you by yourself. God's like, I know what you need right now. I'm, but listen, I'm filling that void for you. I'm here to help you. Don't you worry. I know what you need. And then he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. But in the midst of while he was working, God was helping him. And then we said he gave, he gave Adam a command. Then he gave him a responsibility. So we said command plus responsibility equals purpose. He gave Adam a purpose. All by himself. Adam, listen. Adam was busy doing the work of God. He wasn't in there saying, Whoo, this is hard. I need some help. I didn't hear that anywhere. Look, let, let's keep reading. Let's see. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to, fowl, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an help me for him. Did it say Adam was looking for a help me? It didn't say he was looking for a help me. It just said there wasn't one for him. So, then what did God do? He caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. Now, before I go there, I just, I have to say this again. God is going to give you purpose all by yourself before you put you in the covenant of marriage. That's why I said earlier, he didn't say, you know, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Now here, both of you all in the garden, now go. No. He gave, he gave Adam, the man, he gave him direction. This is what I want done. This is what I need done. I get to it by yourself. And I want you to know this. He, he'll do that for man and female, male and female. He wants you all to have direction and focus before you get into the covenant state. He'll do that for both of you. Listen, he's giving you stewardship over this life as a believer. And that means, if we have stewardship, he's entrusted us to mature it and grow it. By yourself. He didn't say, alright, you can do what you want to do until you get married, and then when you get married, now you have to focus on your life as a believer, and because my, my, because my, my, our, uh, my marriage should look like Christ in the church. No. Before that, you need to be in this kingdom. That's why I said, in verse 18, he saw that the man was like, he knows what you want. But he wants to give you purpose by yourself first. Delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. Then he'll establish your thoughts. He'll direct your path. 
So if he, you know, if you're if you're right, and this is, I'm not trying to be funny or anything, you know. If you're in a place right now and you're like, I don't, I don't know what my purpose is, I don't know what my direction is, and you're thinking about getting married, pump the brakes. I'm telling you, that's counsel from God right there. Pump the brakes, because if you're directionless and you join with somebody and nobody has the direction, I'm gonna tell you that it's doomed to fail. Like I said, I'm not trying to be funny. This is because listen. <laughs> You have time. God will make things beautiful in His time, but you got to trust Him. Pump the brakes, and in verse twenty, I'll read that again. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no help before him. And then the Lord caused Adam to, to a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. See, it wasn't until Adam was in the middle of doing the purpose of God that God was like, "All right, now he's ready." It wasn't until he was, listen, he was busy about the Lord's work. I wasn't concerned who's going to help me. What does God have for me? God gave you a command and a responsibility already. That's what he has for you. That's why I said you've got to get rid of those selfish expectations long before you're in the covenant of marriage. Be about his purpose and God is like, oh, well you're ready now. Scripture didn't say Adam, Adam was asking God, where's my help? He just stayed on purpose. He stayed with the command and the responsibility that God gave him. Then he just trusted. In verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. See all this before he put him in that state, right? Why command? Why responsibility? Why purpose before we get into the marriage state? Because God desires something from your marriage. Man, listen, God is a God of purpose. He never does anything without purpose. He desires our marriage to speak of Christ in the church. To be a witness. To bring Him glory. A husband is to love his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And not only did he give himself for it, he served the church, and now he continues to serve the church as our intercessor. And because of that great love, what does the church do? We submit. Trusting that what he says is for our good. And guess what? We serve him continuously. See, the reflection of, of Christ in the church should be a reflection of service, one to another. In marriage, it gives us the opportunity to, to, to really exercise what true service is. Because remember, uh, Paul said it, listen, you have enough, in marriage, you... you you can't even serve the Lord un- uninterrupted because there's so much you gotta you gotta pay attention to in marriage. 
so much for the needs of, the, of, of, your, of your spouse. But that's just the thing, though, right? Because this is reflecting Christ in the church. When we choose to marry, the Lord says, we're choosing to serve him by serving the needs of our spouse. Like I said, marriage, it provides a perfect setting for true service. But again, if we, if we go into marriage with our own selfish expectations, I, I promise you things will go south. Because if there's one thing that this life will do for you, it'll disappoint you. One thing that man's expectations will do, it'll disappoint you. And if you haven't been with God the whole time, then your answer will not be what God's answer is to it. It'll be man's answer. We'll get a divorce. They're not meeting your needs. See, when you're focused on service, married life is going to change you for the better. For us to live with someone, listen, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, for sickness and health, it requires that we put them ahead of ourselves. And let me tell you, that's a hard thing. That's why I'm saying it, it takes personal growth before you even get to the state of marriage. But let me, let me move forward here. How does God enable us to reflect Christ in the church? How does he enable us to set our hearts on service and stay there? How does he get what he desires out of his institution of marriage. And I said it before, and now we can go into it. The first thing is submission. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to start. I'm going to purposely skip verse 21 and start at verse 22, and then I'm going to go back. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but, it, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now I'm going to stop there. Because I said, you know, how does God get what he desires out of marriage? And I skipped verse 21 for a reason, for a specific reason. Because when you say the word submission, everybody automatically thinks, oh, here we go. The husband's ahead and the, the wife just needs to, to submit. No, no words saying. No, now, let's go to verse 21. And it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God. See, when I say submission, I, I want everybody to get this into the head. Everybody has a part to play in submission. The husband does. The wife does. Even, listen, even Christ is submitted to God the Father. Everybody. In God's system of authority, in God's line of authority, listen, everybody plays their part. That's why, he, listen, he says, submit yourselves one to another as unto the Lord. So first and foremost, Jesus must be Lord. There's no, listen, there's no submitting one to another at first. We're not, that's why I said before we get together, we need to be submitted to God on our own. We need to have direction and purpose on our own.
We have to, because listen, when we when we fear and respect Jesus, listen, all all the goddess ordained at that point will fall in line with. You know, like the hierarchy in, in marriage. And I say hierarchy, listen, authority and submission, authority doesn't mean somebody's more important than you. Doesn't mean they're better, they're superior to you, they're stronger than you. They're, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that's the position you've been placed in so that God can complete his purpose. Because guess what? Without this position, purpose won't be fulfilled. But guess what? Without this position, this position don't matter. Purpose will not be fulfilled. Play a role. It's okay. It's not about you, the husband or the wife. It's about Christ in the church. It's about what God wants from the marriage. So listen, I can submit because I'm submitted to Christ. Since I'm submitted to Christ, I can submit. I can submit to my wife. My wife can submit to me. Because why? It's not about me. It's about service one to another. His, his, God's orderly arrangement, his authority, his line of authority, it's put in place so that his purpose is fulfilled. It's not put in place so that the husband can say, hi, I'm here and I'm Lord over you. That's not what it's put in place for. Because guess what? There's a line of authority, husband, and you have to answer to somebody. And that, <laughs> this is what I want you to understand too about submission, right? That doesn't mean you could do what you want to do either. As a wife submitting to Christ first, if she sees something that's outside of God's standard, it's her duty to let you know that's not right. And guess what? That's, been submit, that's submitting to you as unto the Lord. See, all that's in the cup of marriage. But if listen, even before, if you, can, if you see the one that you want to get married to and they're doing something out of the standard of God and you can't tell them, let me tell you something. You're not ready for the, for the, state, for the married state. So, I'm going to give a quick, I guess, definition of submission in marriage. You could put that down. Submission in marriage. Because, let me explain God's delegated authority in marriage before I give you that, that, that definition. God delegated the husband in authority so that the family wouldn't go in different directions. So that everybody wouldn't do their own thing. There has to, listen, that, you know, system of authority in, in every area of the earth is set up like that. It's your job. There's somebody in authority, but that doesn't make them a better person. That doesn't make them stronger. Then th- you know why? Because we, don't want it. We, don't, we can't have everybody doing their own thing. I think of, of a, a, a building project. Listen, they have somebody that's working on the foundation at the top, but there's somebody in authority because everybody can't do their own thing. If somebody at the foundation is doing their own thing, guess what? Then that building might just fall and nobody knows. Authority is not to give you a superior role. It's so the purpose gets fulfilled. So again, God delegated the husband in authority that the family wouldn't go in different directions for order. Then the wife chooses, remember, submission is a choice. Wife chooses to place herself under and uses her strength to help the husband take the home in God's direction. Not in the husband's direction. Like I said, it's not about you. She, uses, she chooses to submit because submission is a choice. And now I'm going to use all my strength to help the husband take the home in God's direction. 
So submission in marriage is this. It's when you lay aside your rights in obedience to Christ and humbly serve one another so that God's purpose is fulfilled. I'll say that again. It's when you lay aside your rights in obedience to Christ and humbly, humbly serve one another so that God's purpose is fulfilled. So ministration talk about being united in God's purpose. Submission in marriage unites you in God's purpose. Because his purpose can't be fulfilled without submission. That's how he set it up. That's how his system of authority works. That's how his line of authority works. Now, let me focus on that lay aside your rights part here for a minute. Because, you know, as people, man, we, we love to be right all the time. And in marriage, if there's no submission, then that want to be right all the time, it'll be intensified with that person that you see every day. <laughs> That'll be the one that you want to be right against the most of the time. See, that's the thing about, without submission, there's no humility. I said you got to humbly serve one another. Without submission, submission, there's no humility. Remember, Jesus humbled himself for the sake of the church. He took off glory. And he's the head of the church. And the greatest servant to the church. Listen, even though he had the right and was always in the right not to, he still humbled himself. Unto death. Listen, we could be right about a movie or something and we'll argue it down to the floor. Because without submission, there's pride. There's no humility, there's pride. And that's the thing about pride. Pride is always about who's right. When submission and humility is about what's right. Marriage is, marriage is not a place for you to stand up for your rights. It's a place that should, that should reflect Christ in the church. If you want to stand up for your rights, listen. Don't get married. That's your choice. It's time to lay aside those rights. It's time to be the greatest servant. Turn to Isaiah 53 because, you know, we talk about Christ in the church and I just have to show you what Christ has done for the church, how he laid aside his rights. Chapter 53. And I'm going to read verse 3 through 7. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and... and I'm sorry, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He had every right to open his mouth. 
The Lord Jesus Christ didn't do anything wrong. Everything that was going against him was wrong. There was no truth in it. And he had every right to open his mouth. But for the sake of the church, he laid aside his rights. As God. Listen, he put down deity for us. He's the head of the church. And he, he, he's greatest servant for us. He opened not his mouth. He didn't, listen, I don't have to be right. As long as the outcome is your salvation. See, we should love, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wash your wife with the wife. Listen, this right here, that's Jesus physically washing the church. And listen, I'm not going to open I have nothing to say because I'm doing this for the church. The greatest servant. Let me go ahead and move forward here. So how does how does God get what He wants, out of, uh, what He desires out of marriage? We'll go ahead and move forward for the sake of time. Number two is commitment. And let me just say this, right? Commitment is something you're going to apply your whole effort into. When I say your whole effort, I mean the whole entirety of your life effort. I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to put my put forth my effort today, uh, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow I feel it. No, I mean every day you got to put your, put forth your whole effort. What's the, consistently <laughs> because there's a thing that commitment produces that'll keep your marriage together commitment produces that longevity it produces the endurance so that you won't quit again you, you, we just read it in Isaiah 53 we saw Jesus' commitment I, I think of I, I, I think of Abraham when God cut covenant with Abraham When God cut covenant with Abraham, he said, you know what? And what they used to do in those times, they would cut the, the animals in half and walk between them so that they, they would say, if I don't keep this covenant, this would happen to me. And, and both members of the covenant would do that. But when he cut covenant with Abraham, he walked through by himself. Because he said, you know what? I'm committed, listen, I'm committed to get this done no matter what. That means, even if you're not, I am. See, that's the commitment in marriage we have to have. Even if you're not commitment, I'm going to get this done. Because our marriage is supposed to represent Christ in the church. See, uh, and I know people are committed to the results, but he's talking about I'm committed to the work. That's why God does all the work himself. I'm committed to the work to get this done. There's a purpose. That's what you, you have to be committed to the work. Marriage is a work. A daily work. You've got to be committed. You can't be ready to give up just when something doesn't go your way. When it rubs you the wrong way. Listen, when it rubs you the wrong way for a month, you can't give up. When it rubs you the wrong way for a year, you can't give up. When it rubs you the wrong way for two years, you can't give up. Because, listen, if that was the case, what if, what if, what if somebody's in sin for more than one or two years? Is God going to give up on them? See, it's God's institution. I'm so, I'm so glad that, you know, God's love for us isn't based off our, our actions. He said, I'm committed. Though at this time you may not, may not be, I am. To the point that you will be. For, for many, you know, nowadays, commitment in dating isn't even as... It's, it's the same. They put them on the same level as marriage. Commitment in dating and commitment in marriage. And it's not. 
Because they find marriage, they say, oh, marriage is just another way for me to express how I love them. You know, I want you to understand this. In many cultures and in biblical times, you know, they had arranged marriages. Now, listen, I'm not saying go and get yourself an arranged marriage. But you know they had arranged marriages? And typically in arranged marriages, and you can look at it today, divorce rates are low. Real low. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. A lot of people get together and they love for a feeling. And I said it before, your feelings are like the wind. You could be hot one minute, cold one minute. But and if you're not committed, guess what? That wind will blow you like a ship in that direction. In any direction. That's when you hear people say, oh, we just fell out of love. You just lost the early feelings you had. Let me show you one more scripture. Because I'm out of time. Turn to Hosea. Because it's amazing. (laughs) Turn to Hosea. Chapter 3. It's right after Daniel. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 5. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea... Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong scripture. Chapter 3, verse 1. The, then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods who loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide from me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. See, after, and you need to read up on this, this, the whole story, you know, read the whole chapter of Hosea and his wife, but Hosea's wife had left him and cheated on him. And he sought her to restore this relationship in obedience to God. Listen, while she was out prostituting, she somehow became a slave. And Hosea brought her back out of slavery. Took her back as his wife. See, Hosea's love is meant to reflect Christ's love for the church. He said it. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. And then he, but, but, and I love how God referred back to, to his covenant with Abraham. Right there. He said, return, return your love to her just like, just like I am to the, to the children of Israel. And you know, here's the thing, right? And I, and I love God's faithfulness. You know what I mean? But here's the thing, you know, it's, it's difficult to imagine, especially in marriage or being married to somebody who's unfaithful. It really is. That's why, you know, before you get into the state of marriage, you should consider your response to that. Consider your response to unfaithfulness. 
before entering into the marriage covenant. Because what if it did happen? Now what are you considering? Are you considering divorce already? See, marriage is a serious thing. Remember, it reflects Christ in the church. And my God will never leave or forsake me. No matter what I do. So you have to you have to consider this right as well when you're getting married. The people you're getting into, remember it's in the definition. They're imperfect people. They're they were infected by sin too. So are we truly willing to commit through the the good and the and the real, real bad? Because sometimes the real, real bad will come to your marriage. Most marriages, people are committed only if that person keeps their side of the commitment. But that's nothing like God's love. It's different than dating. That's what I'm saying. You need to consider this thing. You know, in dating, you're saying, oh, they cheated on me, I'm done with them. Listen, first off, if they cheated on you, you having sex outside of marriage, because they can't cheat on nobody if you're not having sex outside. But anyway, listen... We can't be just so willing to give up on marriage when things are not going our way. That's what I'm saying. Consider these things. If you're at the point, if, if you find yourself, oh, if she ever did that ever, he ever did this to me, we'd be done. Slow up for a second. Because I guarantee you, the things that you thought you would never see, you're going to see some in marriage. Marriage is a place that you've never been before. You're going to see some of the things you've never seen. Just like, you know, salvation is a, is a sacred thing, marriage is a sacred thing. It is not to be taken lightly. So if you want to make sure that you're in love or, you know, whatever you want to call it before you get married, check these one things, right? Am I submitting and committed? To who? Not the spouse, because you're not married yet. Not the mate. Are you submitted to Christ? Are you committed to Christ? See, those are the, listen... If those aren't the things that you're looking for first, if you're still looking for, well, can we put our money together to do this? Or, oh, we get to have sex every day? Or this, this, or that, and the other? Listen, if you're not looking for those two things in yourself, so that you can be of service if you're put in that position, in that state of marriage, you're not ready for the state of marriage. And I'm out of time, family. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.